Thank you, Kevin, for shepherding our hearts in prayer. Danny, thank you. Those are two of my favorite songs of worship. And uh, AV team, I know it's been a full morning for you this morning, so thank you for your good care for us and uh, church family. It is sweet to be here with you this morning. There's no place I would rather be this Sunday morning than to be here in the house of the Lord with you all. Well, AV team, if I could get my first slide, thank you. Appreciate that. Matthew 5.20, Jesus says to his disciples, he says, For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Never. And it's with these words, Jesus shows his disciples and us his uncompromising standard of righteousness. The righteousness that he demands and the righteousness that he requires of all his disciples without exception. These disciples will go on to become the apostles. They will go on to be the leaders of Christ's church. And through them, this truth is given to all disciples without exceptions. Pastors are not excluded from this. And the righteousness that Jesus is talking about when he says, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, it's very clearly not the righteousness of men. And it's not the righteousness of churches, and it is not the righteousness of pastors or religious leaders. He's talking about the righteousness of heaven, a heavenly righteousness, because this, brothers and sisters, is his righteousness. And this righteousness is the righteousness of his kingdom and his life and the life he shares with all who are his disciples. And without it, brothers and sisters, none of us will ever enter into his kingdom, the kingdom of heaven. Brothers and sisters, how is our righteousness this morning? Does it exceed the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees? The men who, in all likelihood, had memorized the entire first five books of Moses. I was watching a documentary last night with my son about the grandson of a rabbi. And you may know him, Leonard Cohen. And he talked about, as he looked back, on his grandfather, even though he had led a secular life, he looked back at his grandfather who was a rabbi and he was encouraged about his grandfather and would say, my grandfather could put a pin through his Torah and wherever that pin touched, he could recite that portion of the word of God, meaning he had memorized the entire Torah. Does our righteousness, brothers and sisters, exceed the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees? 
Well, Jesus' words to us this morning are timely. Since in both Hebrew and Greek, the words for righteousness can also refer to a word that is used very frequently these days, the word justice. Justice, which is all about doing what's right. Righteousness, the quality of being right. Justice, doing what is right. And justice, this is the focus of so many of our protests today. Whether it be in the streets of Iran or Memphis, whether it's over George Floyd or the abuse or the failure to protect those who are being abused in places like the church. We protest the absence and miscarriage of justice by government, by police, by leaders in the church. But as we return, brothers and sisters, this morning to the God-breathed words of Matthew 5, to Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, also known as the Sermon of His Kingdom. Jesus shows His disciples and us He cares a lot about righteousness and justice. But those He cares the most about, it's not the government, it's not the rabbis, He cares about the righteousness and justice of His disciples. He cares about your righteousness and justice and mine. And this is where Jesus starts in this passage. And why does he care so much about this? Because this is what is going to save sinners like you and I. And this is what he will give his life for the righteousness and justice of God's word and the righteousness and justice of the Father. And this is what will provide salvation for wretched sinners like you and I. And as you go through the Sermon on the Mount, you'll see that Jesus makes reference either directly or indirectly to righteousness and justice over and over and over again. He directly uses the word righteousness five times, but then he makes reference to courts and disputes and making things right. And one could say this is what his sermon on the mount is all about. This is what makes it so intimidating. This is what makes it for many people something they want to walk away from this Sermon on the Mount, Sermon on the Kingdom, is all about the righteousness and justice of God. This is why it was appropriated by civil rights leaders. But what many forget, brothers and sisters, is that the righteousness and justice that Jesus is talking about here, the righteousness and justice of His light and the life of His kingdom, is the righteousness and justice of a holy God who is perfectly good, as opposed to the righteousness and justice of unholy men who are sinful and broken. And as we walk through this this morning, brothers and sisters, I hope you will begin to see that this is exactly the righteousness and justice our world so desperately needs not the righteousness and justice 
of a particular political party or men or even pastors or religious leaders. What we so desperately need in this broken world is the righteousness and justice of God, a heavenly righteousness from above. If you have your Bibles, please turn with me to Matthew chapter 5, and we'll start reading in verse 6, and we'll make our way down to verse 20. Some of this is a little bit of a review. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad. For your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly, I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. May the Lord bless this reading of his wonderful word. Well, it's with these words that Jesus is addressing his disciples, those people who have left everything in order to follow him as the Messiah and King of God's word. And it's with these words, Jesus is speaking as a king, the Messiah, the anointed one of God, the fulfillment of God's promise. He is speaking as a king. He is giving a royal declaration. And as a king, he is establishing and explaining the non-negotiable standards and the hallmarks of his life and his kingdom. You're now part of my kingdom. You're now part of my life. This is the standard. These are the hallmarks. This is how it is. Citizenship in my kingdom. And two words that Jesus uses repeatedly to describe and set the standard for the life and light of his kingdom 
what is to be the life and light of his disciples. And those two words are blessed and righteousness. Blessed and righteousness. And this, brothers and sisters, as Jesus points out, is what sets apart the life and light of his kingdom. And this is what sets apart the life and light of his true disciples. The grace of God that transforms our lives, blessedness, his giving, his giftedness, his affirmation, and his exaltation of all that is good that comes from God. His grace, but brothers and sisters, also his righteousness, not one without the other. And in the history of the church, we've latched onto one and left the other as we make a false gospel in our own name. We focus on the righteousness and all the things that we're supposed to do allegedly. Or else we go the other side and we focus on the grace, everything that God's given us and therefore I get a pass. But if you go and you notice and you walk with Jesus, this sermon and this standard is both the grace of God and the righteousness of God. One does not walk without the other with Christ. What sets apart, brothers and sisters, the lives of his disciples is the blessing of God and the righteousness of God. Not the blessing of this world and not the righteousness of this world. And there's a big, big difference. And when Jesus says to his disciples... In verse 6, when he says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. And then he goes on to say, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. And then in verse 20, when he says, Unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, Jesus is making it explicitly clear. Very, very clear. This is not the righteousness of men, even the most religious of men. This is the righteousness of his life. This is the righteousness of his kingdom. This is the righteousness of heaven. This is the righteousness that comes from above that we cannot accomplish or work for, but only God can give. And this brings us to our first point for this morning. The righteousness of God, excuse me, the righteousness and justice of Christ's kingdom are the heavenly righteousness and justice of God. The righteousness and justice of Christ's kingdom are the heavenly righteousness and justice of God. Now the church has gotten this confused over 2,000 years and at its worst moments, We celebrate our righteousness and our justice, or we celebrate the righteousness and justice of a particular culture or tradition or church tradition. And surprise, surprise, people get crushed under it, whether it be the Spanish Inquisition or any number of different problems that have arisen in any number of different churches. As we lose sight of the righteousness and the justice that God has given and that sets apart our lives and that Christ came to give us on the cross. He did not come to swap out or substitute a righteousness and justice of men for just 
another form of human righteousness and justice. We don't get a pass from the righteousness and justice of our government so we can find another righteousness and justice that another group of people can put together. There is only one righteousness and justice that does what is right, that saves sinners, but rightly condemns and punishes sinners. It's the righteousness and justice of God. It's the righteousness and justice from above. Well, what exactly is the righteousness and justice of God? There are many people who walk around and speak in the name of the righteousness and justice of God. There are Democrats who do it. There were Republicans who do it. In the Civil War, there were those on both sides, north and south, who believed they were fighting for what was right, and they believed that they were fighting for God. And there were hundreds of thousands of people who were either killed or injured. Many believing they did so in the name of God as they fought for opposite causes. And of course, it's the propensity of our sinful heart to take the name of God and use it to justify or use his word to justify our agendas. But in scripture, brothers and sisters, the righteousness and justice of God are the attributes and gifts of God alone. The attributes and gifts of God. They are an essential and unchanging aspect of the life and love of the one true God, an expression of his holiness. Psalm 97.1 says, The Lord reigns. Let the earth rejoice. And then in the second verse of Psalm 97, it says, Righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. What causes the people of God to celebrate is they are no longer under the righteousness and justice of wicked leaders. They are now under the righteousness and justice of God. Let the, let the people rejoice. That's what we sing for this morning. Christ has set us free from the tyranny of men. And instead, he has brought us into the holy and righteous and just rule of God. Psalm 33, verses 1 through 2. Shout for joy in the Lord. I hope when you sing, you shout for joy. Shout for joy in the Lord. Oh, you righteous, give thanks to the Lord. Why? Well, verse 5 of Psalm 33. He loves righteousness and he loves justice. The earth is full of the steadfast love of the Lord. And here the psalmist shows that there's a direct connection between God's faithfulness and his love for his people, steadfast love, and his righteousness and justice. They are not separate. In our home, if I choose not to be righteous and just according to God's standards... And all I do is run things in the home so it serves me well. That is not love. And my children and my wife will be trampled upon. Righteousness is the quality of being right according to a specific standard or rule. The quality of being right according to a specific standard or rule. Justice is the expression of righteousness. It's about doing or carrying out what is right according to a specific standard or rule. And each one of us, brothers and sisters, we all have our own standards and rules 
of personal righteousness and justice. Everybody's got it. We've all got our rules. We've got all, our, all got our standards. And this is where many of the conflicts come in our relationships. We each have a kingdom. We each have a standard. I've told you, when Julie and I got married, where does the toilet paper go? Where does the toothpaste go? My way is better. My little kingdom, right? We each have our rules and our standards of what is right. And we rule our kingdoms in that way. As I've told you before, if I came to your house, showed up, rang the doorbell, showed up with a pair of muddy boots, and walked right into your house, into the living room on your carpet with those muddy boots, and then opened up your refrigerator and went through everything in your fridge, made myself a sandwich, sat down on your couch, and your kids come down. I say, oh, can, can't you go away? I'd like to watch some TV right now, right? Are we good? You going to have me back at your place, Andre? I'm never having that guy come back again. He doesn't play by my rules. He walks all over them. He does it his way. And yet, brothers and sisters, we want to come into Christ's kingdom and his house and do it the way we want. Sing the praise songs I want. Do it the way I want. Let me hear the sermon or let me hear the people minister and shepherd to me. You didn't shepherd me in the way it works for me. If you could just find that magic key and speak my love language, I would grow. Jesus is pointing out, this is not your kingdom. It's mine. With God. His standard and his rule of righteousness and justice is nothing less than himself. His holy character as revealed in his word. And brothers and sisters, this is good news. Because God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. Wayne Grudem says, God's righteousness means that God always acts in accordance with what is right. And he is himself the final standard of what is right. And that's a beautiful thing, brothers and sisters. There's no ambiguity with God. You know exactly where you stand with him. He does not change and change his mind from one day to the next. He doesn't wake up in the morning and he's in a crabby mood because he didn't sleep well last night and you got to walk on eggshells today and run back everything that he told you you could do the day before. But the implication here, brothers and sisters, is that without God, Without his life, without his love, without his holiness, without his word, there is no true and lasting righteousness and justice. And all that remains without him is a world where everyone does what is right in their own eyes. What works for me? And this is also known as self-righteousness 
or the righteousness of men? What is right in my eyes? What works for me? And this, brothers and sisters, is our world. This is our sports and what we'll watch this afternoon in the Super Bowl. This is our education. This is our work. This is our democracy. The only difference in democracy is that they labor in order to pursue a standard of righteousness that allegedly benefits the most people in the nation. Well, what happens when most people in the nation are totally depraved sinners? And we're laboring for what works well for us. And this is why we're fighting. A world where everyone is striving to meet or enforce some man-made expectation or standard. What works for them? And brothers and sisters, how often do people get crushed because of a self-serving standard? that benefits the winners at the expense of the losers. This is called injustice in our religions and our relationships and our politics. And brothers and sisters, how often is the discouragement and despair in our lives rooted in trying to live for a man-made standard of righteousness that we not only buy from others, but we put on ourselves. I'm not tall enough. I don't have enough hair. I'm not thin enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not fast enough. I should be further along in my life and my career, in my family, in my relationship. All man-made standards that when we fail to meet our own expectations of righteousness, we start to get discouraged or we look around at others around us and it starts to spiral down. Injustice, brothers and sisters, begins in the heart with an unjust and unholy standard of what is right and wrong. A standard which is all about what works well for me and can only exist when I'm the winner and you're the loser. Well, according to Deuteronomy 25.16, what we read and heard this morning, what Ryan handled this morning, the Lord says, all who do such things, all who act unjustly, are an abomination to the Lord your God. God hates it. And he hates it when we substitute for his standard of righteousness and justice, our standards of righteousness and justice, in no small part, first, because we are making ourselves God and we are taking his place and we do a terrible job at it. But secondly, because that standard of righteousness and justice takes advantage and abuses the people he loves and his creation. Brothers and sisters, how often do we vote for a candidate or a proposition that's not good for us or doesn't work well for us? But we go and we'll vote for and we'll support a candidate. He's good for everybody else. He's just not good for me. 
How often do you pursue and choose a job or an employee who's not good for you, but they're good for everyone else? Without God, brothers and sisters, without his goodness, his righteousness, or his justice, we are left to the tyranny of the self-serving man. We're left to the tyranny of ourselves. And King David, at the end of his life, he acts pridefully. And the Lord God holds him accountable, severely. And in 2 Samuel 24, he sends a prophet named Gad to provide the judgment. And he gives David a choice. You can have the justice of God or you can have the justice of men. Take your choice. Well, David, he's blown it. But he's aware enough from painful experiences. He says in 2 Samuel 2.14, Let us fall into the hand of the Lord, for his mercy is great, but let me not fall into the hand of man. Brothers and sisters, we live in a world that cries out for justice, and rightly so, because we live in an unjust world, and we live in an unrighteous world. But the problem is we're crying out to the wrong person. We are crying out to unjust and unrighteous men as opposed to the just and righteous God who created us and loves us and calls us to himself. And the good news of God's word is this is exactly why Christ has come. Isaiah 16.5, Isaiah says, Then a throne will be established in steadfast love. And on it will sit in faithfulness in the tent of David one who judges and seeks justice and is swift to do righteousness. And brothers and sisters, when Christ calls us to repent and follow him, the question and choice he puts before us is which king, which standard of righteousness, which standard of justice will rule your life? Is it going to be my reign and my justice and my righteousness? Is it going to be a heavenly righteousness? Is God going to be king of your life and the one you are going to answer to? Or will you choose to answer only to yourself? And how often, brothers and sisters, in decisions in our relationships, our marriages, and our politics, do we choose the tyranny of our self-righteousness rather than the righteousness and justice and the life of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? Brothers and sisters, the good news of Jesus Christ is that in his kingdom, there is only one king, there is only one standard of righteousness. There is only one standard of justice. It's not ours, it's his. And we have to make a choice. If we're going to repent and follow him, we have to let go of our self-righteousness. We have to let go of our expectations. We have to let go of our standards if we're going to celebrate and come under a righteousness and justice that gives life. And all you married couples out there, you know this. When you get married, right? How long is it going to last if each one of you holds on to 
your particular standard of righteousness and justice in the home. As we follow Christ, he says to us in verse 6, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for self-righteousness. No. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Literally, filled to overflowing. And the implication, the clear implication is that this is God's loving and good work in the lives of his children. What parent does not want to fill their children's lives with everything that is right and just and good? In our home, we may sit for a season while we wait for someone to eat vegetables. But you know that there's any number of green smoothies and soups and all of those things with every opportunity as a parent in love is going to say, okay, I'm going to get this into you one way or the other. I'm just going to pour it into you. Why? Because I love you. And I am going to find a way to fill your life with everything that is right and good and loving and that is going to protect you and grow you and take care of you even when I am gone. Brothers and sisters, when Christ becomes our king and we share his life, God becomes our father and he is a good father. And he does what we cannot do in our lives. He fills our lives to overflowing with his righteousness and his justice and his holiness and his love. And that's why repentance means we need to walk away from our own. And as we follow Christ and we share his life, we begin to share his righteousness and justice. And we begin to share his holiness and goodness. And how does this happen? Because he's the one in charge and his rules set the direction and standard of our lives. And we see this, brothers and sisters, very clearly in the life of the Apostle Paul, who lived a life of self-righteousness as a Pharisee and tried to punish and kill all those who did not submit to his standard of righteousness put them in jail, had them punished, had some even, the implication, maybe even killed. you got to do it my way. And then he encounters our Lord and Savior on the road to Damascus, who says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he's transformed by the presence of the Lord in his life. And then you read the epistles, and then he becomes a man. Instead of taking lives, he gives his life for a righteousness and justice that comes from above, just like our Lord and Savior did on the cross. And this, brothers and sisters, brings us to our second point this morning. Heavenly righteousness and justice serves and glorifies God, not the self. Heavenly righteousness and justice serve and glorify God, not self. In the Beatitude, Jesus shows us what sets apart his righteousness and justice. And in the rest of the Sermon on the Mount, he shows us how this 
righteousness and justice sets apart the lives we live. That's the entire Sermon on the Mount. When he talks about anger, when he talks about lust in your heart, when he talks about how to resolve conflicts, at the end of the day, it's just an outworking of the righteousness and justice that we receive from him being king of our lives. And we see this even in the Beatitudes, verse 7, blessed are the merciful. Those who are showing mercy to others, they're not thinking about themselves first. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the peacemakers, those who plead with others to be reconciled with God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. I'm not out there to save my own skin. Blessed are those who are persecuted on my account. And he shows his disciples and us where a life is filled with his righteousness and justice, it leads to a life that loves and serves and glorifies God. And because it loves and serves and glorifies God and is more concerned about what's pleasing to God because God loves us perfectly, it's concerned about the welfare of my brother, the welfare of the least among us, the welfare of those who cannot defend themselves. It loves and cares for others because God perfectly loves and cares for others. And this is because heavenly righteousness and justice serves and glorifies God, not me. And this, of course, is what we see in the life of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. This is what sets his life apart. This is what leads him to the cross. He says, I delight to do the will of my Father. I speak his word. Jesus is not there looking for himself and what's good for him and what works for him and what politician is going to work well for his family or his homeschooling or his education. Everything he does is out of love for the Father by the power of the Spirit and in obedience to God's word. And this is why he says to the Father, not my will be done, but thy will be done. And this, brothers and sisters, is the holy righteousness and justice that saves us and delivers us from our sins and the bondage and the tyranny of standards and expectations of fallen men and fallen hearts. It is not a righteousness and justice that's all about protecting my life, my comfort, my privilege, my reputation, my ministry. Like Jesus, it gives it all away for the salvation of others. So often I hear from brothers and sisters, and quite honestly, so often I've said it myself, why does the Christian life have to be so hard? Why does a Christian marriage have to be so hard? Why does a Christian family have to be so hard? Why is it so costly? Can I really do this? Am I really cut out for it? Do I have what it takes? Maybe I'm just not that person who's called to this or who can do it. And I realize so often when I think that way, brothers and sisters, that's my flesh speaking. Self-righteousness. I should be able to do this, and if I do this and I practice it and I work hard enough, it should come easily to me. 
like a professional athlete. You just do enough reps in the gym, and sooner or later you're going to be able to slam it in the game. But that's so contrary to the good news of Jesus Christ, where righteousness and justice are gifts from God, and it's His work in and through my life, and it's through my weakness and my frailty that God reveals that His grace and his strength and his power are sufficient, and he is the one who gets the glory, and it's his good work in me, not my ease or ability to get up here and do things so easily at no cost to myself. Brothers and sisters, so often I hear people resist being obedient to Christ because they say it's too hard or they're not able to do it. And why does it have to be so hard? But Christ did not come to give us a justice and righteousness to make our lives more comfortable or easier. He came to save us from our sins. And it's rare when patients who are dying of cancer when they come in and refuse chemotherapy or say to their doctor, I just can't do it, it's too hard. Especially when their lives are on their line. And Jesus says in Matthew 16, 25, whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. And the Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians 1, 6, he says, if we are afflicted, it's for my comfort and salvation. Does he say that? No, this is a transformed Apostle Paul. He says, if we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and your salvation. And later he talks about taking on suffering and affliction so that the church would grow for the benefit of your salvation. Where did he learn that from, brothers and sisters? He learned it from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. That's the power of the Spirit working in him. And he talks about being perplexed. And he talks about being at the point of despair. He talks about being at the place of almost being overwhelmed and despairing of life itself. And what brings him through is hope in Christ, not hope in my comfort, hope in what works well for me, hope that everything works smoothly. But the beauty, brothers and sisters, is that he says these things with incredible joy and delight. Because now his joy and delight is found in pleasing the Lord and caring for the brothers and sisters in the church and looking out for others rather than building up what works well for him. Brothers and sisters, this is the work of Christ's lordship in our lives. This is the work of his Holy Spirit that rules and leads and fills our new lives with a new standard, the standard of God's word, the standard of God's love. And it fills our lives with a righteousness and goodness and justice that serves and saves others because it's pleasing to God. And it's worth noting, brothers and sisters, how do we grow in this and how do we live out this righteousness? Well, Jesus makes it very clear. We do so by submitting and obeying his commandments by faith. You're the king. You're the Lord. You want me to do this? I will do it. I don't understand how it all works out. 
but you love me, you are right and just, I'm going to trust in you, you're going to keep your word. This is the faith of Abraham. So often I hear the objections. Well, I don't have the power of Christ. I don't have the power of the Holy Spirit. I just can't do it. You're asking too much of me. I don't even know whether I'm a Christian. Brothers and sisters, if you have a sailboat and someone's given you a sailboat and you want to go sailing, where do you go? Where the wind's blowing. If you want to experience the sunlight, where do you go? Do you stay inside all day? You step outside and you step into the sunlight. You want to experience the power of the Holy Spirit. You want to experience the power of Christ. How do you experience it? It's not by works, brothers and sisters. It's doing what Jesus asks you to do and going where he asks you to be. It's obeying him by faith. My first date with Julie. A location is set. How do I receive the blessing and the joy of a relationship that God had given me I didn't work or earn to receive? By God's grace, I simply showed up to the place that was designated as the meeting place. So we have this twisted view. I can't because I don't have the power to obey. When Christ has spoken his word to you, when he's come into your life, when he said, here's my word, here's my gift, here's my standard. This is what you need to do. This is where you need to be. The power of the spirit is present when you submit and come under the light and stand where he's told you to stand and obey the commands and walk with him because Jesus always walks with his word. And brothers and sisters, as you walk with him, he gives you the power and grace. It doesn't mean it's easy, and you will have to leave things behind. There is a cross involved. As a child, in my home, in my family, there were days I didn't want to go and do things. There were days I woke up, and I was crabby and having a hard time. And yet, at the end of the day, what needed to happen was as my parents reached out their hand, was to take that hand and simply go with them and follow them. It's not like I accomplished anything good. And they took me where I needed to be. Brothers and sisters, this is the righteousness and justice of God. He is right. He is just. And so I will submit and follow what is right and just, his way rather than mine. But so often, brothers and sisters, we try and throw a temper tantrum and we try and pout because it's not what we understand or what we want or we're sure of. When Christ asks us to obey him, what he is asking is that we trust him and we lean on his power rather than our understanding. And this is what begins to place his righteousness and his justice and his light on display in our lives, brothers and sisters. It's not what we do, it's that we're walking with him. And the righteousness and justice and light that begins to shine is the righteousness and justice and light of Christ. This is what it means to be salt and light. This is what Jesus is talking about in verse 13 and 14. And it's worth noting, he talks about you being salt and you being light. Right after he talks about being persecuted for righteousness and for my name's sake. Verse 16, in the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. 
And this light, brothers and sisters, is the light of Christ's righteousness and his justice. What is right according to God? What conforms to God's standards of righteousness and justice that saves sinners? Not my standard of what I think is right and wrong. Not my standard of righteousness and justice that serves people who look like me and think like me and talk like me. And the good works that he's talking about are the good works of his righteousness and his justice. It's the good works of salvation, brothers and sisters. It is the good works of the gospel. When you go through the epistles and you look at good works, they're not talking about buying a hospital or buying a church or feeding all these people. He's talking about God's good work of bringing sinners to salvation and forgiveness and repentance and to the place of grace where they become children of God. And that word good in Greek, kalos, it means what is beautiful and what is fruitful. It's a special word for good. It's different from the one that's used in other places, agathos. Kalos is the idea of this fruit in this tree that is ripe and beautiful and is an expression of what that tree is all about. So others may come and not just admire it, but they can pick it and they can taste it and eat it and say, this is a wonderful peach tree. This is a wonderful fig tree. These are amazing grapes. And brothers and sisters, that is the fruit of righteousness and justice in our lives. And you've had a taste of that or you've experienced that when you work with or come under someone who is truly just and righteous, where they're not serving themselves, but they do what's right, even if it costs them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. What is it, brothers and sisters, that gives glory to our Father in heaven? It's when his children grow up to become just like him. When they see the righteousness and justice of our lives, a holy righteousness and justice that is not self-serving, but sacrifices everything for the salvation of sinners, and others are able to see this is a different type of tree. This is a different type of sap. Something's different going on in there. And brothers and sisters, this is not just the righteousness and justice that God gives his children. This is the righteousness and justice God also expects of his children. Why? Because he's given it to you. Charles Quarles notes, the New Testament scholar, he says, the lifestyle described by the Sermon on the Mount is not the product of mere human effort. It is the result of transforming grace. The righteousness the Sermon on the Mount demands, demands, is a divine gift graciously wrought in the heart and life of the Christian disciple by God himself. God is the source. God is the author of the disciple's good works and life. And this is why it brings glory to him and not to us. How do we grow in this, brothers and sisters? Well, we grow by abiding in Christ. We grow by abiding in his word. We grow by surrendering through obedience and faith to his standard of righteousness and not our own. And this brings us to our final point this morning. Heavenly righteousness and justice requires right thinking about who Jesus is. 
Heavenly justice and heavenly righteousness requires right thinking about who Jesus is. We have a tendency to think Jesus is my best friend. Jesus is my homeboy. Jesus is the person who's there to comfort me when someone's been unkind to me. Now those might be snapshots and they may have their place. But it's amazing how often we want a righteousness and justice that works for me or people like me. As far as everybody who's not like me, they can figure it out on their own. Right? We protest all manner of police abuse in this country. And we should. How many of us are protesting police abuse in Russia, in Syria, in parts of Africa, in Muslim parts of the world? How much of us are out in the streets protesting? They say, we care about ourselves. We want a righteousness and justice that works for us. But it's a distortion, brothers and sisters, of who Jesus is. Because Jesus is the king who came to save all men. And Jesus says, do not think, verse 17, that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them. I have come to fulfill them. And the propensity of our human hearts, brothers and sisters, when we find out that Christ has given us this gift of righteousness, he's given us his word, which is beautiful. He's given us this standard of righteousness and justice, which is good. Our propensity a little bit when this gets poured into our lives and our lives start to take form and our families start to take form and our marriages start to get put back together again and it gets, begins to get built on the rock. The propensity in our hearts is to think, well, this is because of me. And the propensity is to think, well, this is good. I don't have to follow this anymore or I can do whatever I want. I get a pass because I'm living by the grace of God. And we can behave, brothers and sisters, like spoiled children. And if you think that's not you, you just have to look back in the history of the church. And it happens over and over and over and over again. People grow in Christ and suddenly the rules don't apply. Suddenly, it's all about grace, and I don't have to worry about this, I don't have to worry about this, or we get a pass on this, or I don't have to deal with this, because I'm good with God. In fact, that's what happened with David, right? And it comes up, brothers and sisters, in ministry so often, that when people are called to obey God's word, oh my goodness, you're being legalistic. And let me come out and say this. <clears throat> Some of the hardest people and most difficult people to minister to are pastors. In my medical practice, when pastors would come through that door, man, they had a different standard. They were not going to submit. They were men of authority. They had a standard. I, I got my standard of righteousness. I got the way I'm not doing this blood test. I'm not doing this. I'm not. Can we do things differently? Suddenly, everything's open to negotiation. There's a danger, brothers and sisters, as we grow in the righteousness and justice of the Lord, that suddenly we think we're a law to ourselves. And we mistaken the righteousness of God and the righteousness of his justice that I have as a child of God and think. And this happens in the church with people. 
honestly, who have been in the church for a long time or have grown up in the church. They can be among the hardest to counsel. The drug addict on the street who never grew up in the church or the person who grew up in the Muslim family and when they come to give me Jesus, I need, I've seen the brokenness. I want to get away from this life as much as possible. I need your Christ. But the folks who have been raised in the church, it's like, well, I know this game. Why do I have to do this? Why do I, I know this Bible verse? Suddenly we begin to think of Jesus as some sort of puppet who's there to serve my needs. And we forget he is the king who has come to save us by bringing his standard of righteousness, his justice, the righteousness and justice of the cross, that he has come not to play hopscotch with God's word, but to fulfill all of it in your life and mine. Brothers and sisters, living the light requires us to think rightly about who Jesus is and what he has come to do. And this is why he says to his disciples, do not think, command. And this is sometimes, brothers, in ministry and when we shepherd one another, this is times when my wife says to me, Mark, don't think that way. If someone's been unkind or they've been difficult, don't think that way. Don't go there. Don't even touch it. Let's pray for that person instead and follow Christ and think the way that Christ thinks because he is our king, he is our Lord, and we think the way he thinks. And brothers and sisters, we need to say that to ourselves and in love sometimes for those who God's put with us. Lovingly and graciousness, we need to address thoughts and say, do not think. We need to think God's way. Why? Because we're his children. And we become a child of God. What protects us is his righteousness and justice. And the standard for God's children, brothers and sisters, because he loves you, is not less, it's more. You don't get a pass because you're a Christian. It's the other way around. Because he loves you and because his son died for you and you're part of his household... He holds you to the same standard much, much more. Why? Because you're his children. And I tell this to my boys. I'll let them know. You may get a pass in this church because you're a pastor's child. You're Pastor Mark's child. You're not going to get that pass from me. I love you. I will do everything I can to help you to meet the standard of our home, which is the standard of Christ. I'll do whatever's there. I'll put every resource at your disposal. But you're not going to be Eli's sons, and you're not going to be Samuel's sons. They all might give you a pass, but you're not, because the standard I hold you to is not the standard of a pastor's son. You're my son. And as for me and my house this day, we will serve the Lord. Brothers and sisters, do we think of ourselves as purchased by the blood of Christ, his justice and righteousness? Do we think of ourselves as children of a God who is good and right and just, who loves and cares for us? Do we think of ourselves as the family of God? 
Do we delight in joy in the reality that the justice and righteousness he has given us is not our own, but it is the justice and righteousness of heaven? Let me close with this. We're living in a time and a season where there are many discouragements and controversies, especially in the realm of Christian leadership and famous churches and ministries. And the last several years have been one ministry after another where their integrity is called into question or their discouragements that come. But as we come back to God's word, I want you to consider this. Do not think that you are a child of Lighthouse Bible Church, San Jose. Do not think that your standard of righteousness is the standard of a particular church or ministry. Do not think that a particular pastor saved you. But know and believe that the only one who has saved you is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Know and believe that you belong to him. Know and believe that the word of your life is his word, not the words of men, whether they're pastors or not. And focus on him. Enjoy and delight in that. Celebrate that. Let that be your encouragement and strength. And instead of succumbing to opinions including your own opinions. Live as a child of God. Shine with his light and grow and celebrate and submit and obey him and focus on what he has called you to do to obey his word this minute, this moment with your husband or your wife, with your children and trust him to bring you to a place where your light shines and others glorify your father who is in heaven. Because the light that is in you is not the light of Lighthouse Bible Church San Jose, but it is the light of Christ himself. Let's close in prayer. Lord Jesus, thank you that you came to give us a righteousness and a justice that we do not have. And that in and through you, we are able to do what is good and right, not because we ourselves are good and right, but simply because you are our king. You have given us your spirit and you know what is right and good. And as we walk with you and hold your hand, you indeed will bring us, Lord, to the place where we need to be. In your name we pray, amen.